tuned in to Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America, hosted by Tramel Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People, get ready. ready, ready. Progressive Action is now live. This is Progressive Action Radio. We are in the building today. You hear the soundtrack. Y'all know what this record is. We gonna set it off tonight. We got Joe Campbell in the building. off tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Progress- Progressive Action Radio. I'm your host, Tramel Thompson. I got my co-host with me, Jamel Wilson. And today is gonna be a special night. This is one of the nights that I have been looking forward to for quite some time. Um, We got Joe Campbell in the building and we are gonna be talking about a lot of issues. But first and foremost, before we get into the show, I would like to pay my respects to train operator Cornell Still. He passed away last week. His viewing is tomorrow, March 4th, 2016, at Central Baptist Church, 166th Street and West 96th Street, New York, New York, 10024. Now, I'm going to address a couple of issues before we get started tonight. One thing I want to address is this old business, new business rhetoric that I see to try to get people to come to union meetings. What is that? What is old business, new business? Why would somebody want to waste their time when they don't know what's going to be talked about at the union meeting? That's why union meetings have been low, in my opinion. I'm not wasting my time to go there to talk about old business, new business. If you want to know, I want to know what the meeting is about. We got to start being specific. We need more clarification on what the topic is going to be. It has to be some type of target. You know what I'm saying? We need to have meetings, specific meetings to address. I'm a conductor. I want to address the screens that we gotta watch to close down these doors. I wanna address uniform issues, boots. I wanna address deadhead time. I wanna address um, comfort issues. I'm tired of hearing that's you to go because my train was late because of a broken rail or whatever. So we have to do more on that. Give the people a target of something to talk about. Just like we could do with the, like I said, with the screens. 
have a union meeting about the screens. Put that out there. We're going to have a union meeting on the screens. Conductors, y'all need to come down, make sure, and voice your opinion. Let us know what screens is messed up. We're going to give y'all a sheet. If you work at a, a, at a terminal with a lot of trains, hand it out to other conductors. Let's get some progressive action, some real action going. Um, another thing <laughs> I'm going to uh, address is um, somebody posted in a group of what another member said, and he, I quote, he said, TWU Local 100 allowed five members to run for election while being on injury on duty, and now one is the chair of conductors. Now, I took that two kinds of way. One, I felt that he was probably a little salty, and another one, I felt that, you know, I couldn't really blame him for him feeling the way he felt, because everything here is like the military. The time we use, the military phonic alphabet, you know, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, you know, they consider us shop stores as being on the front line. That's military lingo. And, you know, we would want our, our elected leaders of our platoon to be healthy. If the, if, if the leaders isn't healthy, then how you expect the members to feel about, about the leadership? It's going to feel kind of weak. You know what I'm saying? And for some reason, people tend to relate injury as a form of weakness. You know what I'm saying? And in some form of fashion, they're right. You know what I mean? Just like when you, you got a basketball team, you got LeBron on the basketball team, how many coaches got fired for not leading them the right way when you got the best player in the world on your team? We want our leadership to be strong. We want our, our leadership to, to, to show real fight. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I, I felt two ways about that, but, you know, I kind of felt where he was coming from. And another thing I want to address, you know, a conductor got in trouble recently for getting into a little spat with a uh, traffic agent. The problem I have with that is, where's the unity within a union? Why is everybody putting this guy down? I'm not, I'm not um, co-signing what he did, but where's the unity? I see NYPD do unmoral things every day in the news, and they courtrooms be filled with supporters from their job because they have a strong, they have a strong idea of what unionism is. We are so broken up. Like I, I went inside a group and I seen everybody talking to him. I'm not losing my money for this. Oh, he's this. Oh, he's that. That's kind of silly to me. Where's the unionism at? We need to do something about that. And the last thing that I'm gonna bring up is Samuelson not attending Black History Month. How can he not? I mean, Black History Celebration. How can he not attend that when most of the majority of the um, membership is African American? How, how, how can y'all feel about that? He couldn't even fake come. You know what I'm saying? I heard it was some type of excuse like a uh, family emergency or whatever the case is. Uh, and I heard that he attend other events also, um, <clears throat> ethnic events also. And I just want to know why, Mr. Samuelson, if you're listening, why don't you go to black history celebrations? Is that how y'all Garrison Beach boys get down? We need to know what it is. We need to address these things because nothing is sliding on this show. But, Jamel, how you feel today, man? I'm feeling <laughs> pumped. I'm feeling great. I just want to say good evening to all the members who are listening. I know it's late, but we're going to give you a reason. We're going to you know, make you feel great for staying up and listening to this show. Uh, right now, I'm pumped. Jamel, are you pumped? Listen, I'm, I, I couldn't even sleep, man. Yeah, man. I couldn't even sleep. Like I said, Joe go be in the building. Oh, Joko, yeah. Joko, come talk that talk. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. The video he made, man, it's just like yo. I was, I was, I was like, oh god, what's gonna happen, man? Because that video looked, it, 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 it was real tough, man. Yeah, I was thinking I had to bring security or something. Cause I was like, man, well, are we in trouble or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I thought we was in trouble or something. But we got Joe Campbell in the building. Say, say hello to the people, Joe. What's up, everybody? Pleasure to be here. Progressive Accent Radio, making history. Jamel, Jamel, thanks a lot for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. No problem. So, you know, um, let the people know how long you've been with MTA. What's your title? Have you, what titles you have held? Okay. Um, I have 26 years uh, coming up next month. Um, I've been a shop steward. I've been a section officer. I've been a division officer. I've been division chairs. Two terms. I ran for president, the local 100, in 2012 and 2015. We came close, but not close enough. All right, that's cool. Um, you, you put online that you went to Lobby Day recently. How was that for the Tier 6 reform? We, we just want to jump straight into the fire. We don't want to BS around today. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, Lobby Day, you know, over the last few years has been watered down. Um, it kind of lost its purpose. Um, just getting back into what we used to do, um, there used to be a lot of meetings ahead of time. People um, had talking points. They understood the issues. Um, legislative agendas were put together. Bill numbers and sponsors were ready to go. Um, packages were given to buses. Every bus had a bus captain. There were a lot more buses and a lot more participants. Um, the bus captains gave everybody the um, rundown on the way up there. They would go through the package and let everybody know their talking points. Why that's important is because people, when you talk to your um, representatives, your legislature and your, your, your assembly and your, your senate, um, you have to know what you're talking about. They're not fools. Um, it's okay that you have passion for your issue, but in order for you to lobby, you have to know some of the details. Um, sometimes, you know, they'll just let you slide and be nice to you because you might be a constituent and, you know, you know they, they want your vote. But I've seen um, elected officials get nasty because you didn't come up there with cost figures. And, you know, if you're going to demand tier 6 you've got to know what it costs. And if, if you know, you want to make your point. And I think this time around, um, this is the first time that the local has addressed tier 6, even though Transport Workers United has been screaming about it for over four years. Um, finally, they're getting around to it. Um, and <clears throat> members who were there to lobby for it were not prepared. So they gave them like a little sheet and they told them, here, drop this off here, drop this off there. How do you address the issue? How do you come up there smartly as a prepared membership and address that issue? Now that's the leadership's responsibility. It's not a member's responsibility. Members are there to be educated on the issues. The leadership is there to make sure that you know what you're talking to going into that battle. So basically, basically it was a waste of time. It, it, it never is, and I'll tell you why. Um, as much as you know, you know, people could feel negative about it because you know that you know it's ill-prepared, and basically it's a three-hour ride up to listen to speeches, take a picture, and come back. Um, and it, you know, you can make the best of it because you still get to see your assembly person and and your and your state senator, um, and you still get to talk about the issues. Some of the issues have been going on for a very long time. Um, but these, these particular, this particular tier six one, um, which is very important, um, we have to do it again and again and again. Now, I'm afraid that being ill-prepared um, and not even having a bill or a bill number 
translates into not, um, not, you know, not being able to push a bill forward because we were unconvincing enough. Some, so, some of the guys, uh, the elected officials are great. Peter Abate, he'll pretty much sponsor anything. But what we need to do is be prepared to push these bills forward, and our members uh, should be educated by the leadership as to exactly what this entails, what is the cost. How many of us are tier six now? None of that was, 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 uh, was given to us. None of that information was given to us. So it's never a waste of time, Jamel. It's, it's basically, we gotta keep this fire going. There will be a leadership and a union for a very long time. So if we let Lobby Day you know, fall to the wayside, it's gonna be very hard in the future to build it back up again. So we, we always gotta, even if we don't feel confident in what we're doing, we still gotta participate. We still gotta show force. Right, and it has to be a lot more than just a day off for the members to eat it, you know, to, to stuff their faces and, and drink themselves to death on the bus ride going up there, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it for a couple of years, but it, it, it has to be more than that. And it has to also be the elected leadership being knowledgeable and being educated about everything that's going on also. Because like I said, if, you know, if you ask me, Tier 6 was enacted in April of 2012, going on four years now. And so the union, this local waited three years to fight and lobby and, and ask for tier six reform. What, what, you know, what really got our um, anger up back then was that, okay, tier six came out. The governor campaigned on it. So it wasn't like something that just like popped up. Like all of a sudden it's April, 2012 is tier six. This information came out. We knew about it. We did not mount a fight about it. As a matter of fact, the union, put out a, um, a flyer calling it a victory. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know what they were saying, that they preserved 2555, but that 2555 is useless if you can't afford to retire on that pension. You're still gonna have to go to 63, and you're still gonna have to collect your Social Security. So you really didn't gain anything. Um, just so you know, some of your listeners uh, don't know some of the um, lowlights of, of tier six, uh, besides upwards of 6% contribution, whereas in tier four, we, we, we have a 2% contribution, um, on the back end, there's a $15,000 um, $15, uh, ceiling. Yeah. That's it, you, yeah. can't, you can't earn more than that. Anything after that is not pensionable, so your, your retirement is very limited. Now, you have people paying upwards of 6% on the front end, and, and, and that happening to them on the back end. Now, what we encourage everybody to do is to get a supplemental pension going. Their 401k and their 457. Definitely. Very smart. Listen, I push for that, guys. Everybody out there needs this. Even if you're putting the minimum, you need it. Because you want to be able to bridge that gap between 25 and 62 when you get your Social Security. Right. So that, that's a nice cushion to have. But if you're paying all this money up front, how do you afford to do that? I mean, if you plan on having a family, how do you afford to put money into a supplemental pension if you're paying all that money up front? Right, and you, can't, and you can't afford it because, again, in, um, in lieu of tier six being rammed down our throats, now you're talking about in the last contract of 2014, new members have to stay on the wage progression scale longer, mm -hmm. damn near a little bit more than over, the, over a fifth of their career trying to get the top salary. So that's less money that you're making you know, versus getting top salary after three years. You know? Absolutely. And, and the problem I have with it that I, I read on the um, union website itself was said, uh, and I quote, this was Samuelson said, they deserve respect and pension fairness. Where's the word we? 
you're supposed to be representing us. They, you automatically separate yourself from us. Right. You're supposed to be a part of us. <clears throat> there is a, there, there, there's a big we in this. Um, what's not being uh, addressed and told, and, and this is why, all right, maybe, maybe there's about 6,000, I'm just guessing, but just going by past hiring practice, practices, maybe 6,000 tier six right now, which means out of 32,000 TAOA, um, you're probably looking at um, maybe 24, 26,000 tier four. Now, tier four numbers are gonna decline, tier six numbers are gonna grow every day. Every day somebody's hired. So what, what we're gonna see right now, and this happened in the 90s between tier four and tier one, because back then tier four was a, um, a, a, a much worse pension than it is now, it's 30-62 with a 3% contribution. That's what I was hired into. Yeah, tier one guys on one side. Now tier one was 2050, no contribution. And it was senior to us. So now we're new employees, maybe a couple of years on the job, and we're hanging out with each other because we're more familiar with each other, we're younger. These older senior guys that seem to have privilege because of their seniority, rightfully so, but just get where I'm coming at, what I'm looking at, and their pension is a lot better than mine. We're looking at two different tiers on the property. Now, as, as it, like I said, as the tier four numbers um, begin to decline and the tier six numbers grow, and they become almost even, which should be in about six to eight years, you're gonna see that same divide. I mean, you'll see it in the crew rooms and the lunch rooms and the swing rooms, where one side is, is tier four, the other side is tier six. Now there'll be a power struggle for the union because one side wants pension reform and the other side wants raises and benefits. Now, back in the 90s again, the raises were low, but we got tier four pension reform. So for guys like us, and then later on, I think in the 99 contract, we wound up decreasing um, our tier four contribution. Um, when it became 25.55, our contribution went to 5.2, and we, we were able to decrease it to 2%. So we actually got a 3.2% raise um, because we, we, we gave less contribution. Well, that's what tier six is gonna want. So if, if let's say if, 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 if the union in the future and the leadership is tier six or tier six friendly, and, and they wind up giving them a 3% or 4% decrease in, in, in contribution, that's a raise for them. And they're happy with that because that's more money they're taking home. But the tier four guys won't get that raise because the pile of money is only so big. So tier four guys will pay for this in the future. Now, the longer we wait to fight and win this, the more expensive it's gonna be because the MTA is gonna want more. Of course. I mean, tier six exists, so the MTA could put less money into the pension fund. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, so tier six members know, and maybe this will fire you guys up. <laughs> you, you, are, you are subsidizing our pension. Oh, wow. Now, you just recently ran um, last year, 2015, mm -hmm. and uh, what happened during that election? That, like, why did you feel you lost? Or do you even feel that you really lost? Listen, I, I don't feel that we lost, but, uh, and, and, and that's, that's, yet, that's yet to be seen. But if you look at um, the resources that, that, that are necessary to run a campaign in Local 100 and what you're up against, a lot of people don't know that. It's not just about putting your name on a ballot and then you can go around shopgating and all that. When you're, when you're you know, running from your tools, there's a lot of vacation time you have to put in, you have to deal with management. Maybe in my department it's a little easier. I mean, we had a discussion before about getting time off and, and in maintenance it always seems to be easier than when you're out of a, 
a schedule-driven department. So, you know, if I'm running with people from buses or RTO and, and they, gotta, they have to deal with labor relations and they have to get time off and we have to try to coordinate that, it's very hard to get out there and be seen. Now, you also have, you know, uh, mediums in which that you, you, you put forth your, your message. And, and, you know, this is a wonderful medium that you have here. I wish we had it then, but we don't, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. But these are the kinds of things that, you know, people out there, well, I don't know Joe Campbell. Well, I can't introduce myself to 38,000 people. I mean, sometimes the voter does have to do some kind of homework to find out who the candidates are. It's very important. Liz Rodriguez, who ran uh, for treasurer with me, we would, we would go out in, into the middle of the night and just meet bus operators, jump on buses in Manhattan and the Bronx, and just, um, just talk to them, hand them business cards, say hello. Um, ask them if they need anything. You know, call us if the, you know, there's something going on. These were things that we did I wish they were enough. They weren't. Um, there are other things. Um, there, there's, there's, an, there's, I might as well bring this up now. There's an outright um, um, quelling of, of, uh, of communication in, in some locations, not all. In my department, we don't stop anybody from coming in and speaking to a lunchroom full of people. Okay? We don't do that. It doesn't matter what you say. The floor is open for discussion after. I mean, if we disagree with you, we can jump on what you said, but we always let you say it. Mm -hmm. In certain places in, 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 in the OA, and even one place in, in TA surface, we ran into um, problems. We ran into situations where the chair was blocking us from, from coming in shop gating. And it isn't even about like, well, they didn't get to hear our message. Fine, I'll, ju I'll jump on everybody's bus, I don't care. But the thing about it was that it intimidated the members. It, it, was, it was designed to show the members that we're not with this guy, and if you vote for him, you know, look out. This, these were the things that we faced. Now, there's a lot of them, and there were charges brought up. Mother Clara Hale, um, Tuskegee, um, you know, there was a huge fight in Grand Avenue, um, you know, over shop gating, and, and it, it doesn't really need to be like that. Elections, the election time, isn't just about offices and people running. The election time is a very special benefit for members. The members are entitled to listen to every candidate, what they have to say, and make an informed judgment. To try to hide that, to tear flyers off bulletin boards and take them off tables and throw them in the garbage, um, demand that members bring ballots into the, to, to, to the chairman's office, that's all dirty politics. Politics is dirty, but within Local 100, we want to be able to keep things as clean as possible. I saw that as some of the issues that happened. Some of the other issues that happen is a lot of people weren't qualified to run for office, and that is your five-meeting qualification. Um, and one of the other things that, that were happening was if you go out IOD and somehow you miss a dues payment, you know, not, not, not of your own uh, fault, let's say. Maybe you just don't know. I mean, you, you think it's going to come out later on, whatever. And it does, but you, you already have that gap. Even if you paid the dues later on, you still have the gap. And that, you know, that was knocking people down too. There's an advantage that an incumbent has. Imagine this, imagine the President of the United States is running the presidential election. That's what we have in our union. You know? And there's a lot of things, members not getting ballots. Um, we, that's gotta change. We talked before, you know, briefly before the show about um, changing the way that we vote. Right. Southwest Airlines um, voted on a contract. They have about 11,000 members, about 9,900 voted, um, and they did it online and by phone. No paper ballot, 
not worrying about, you know, it can't, when's your old address, not worrying about whether the union has your address or not. You log on. Um, you use a, a, a password, your pass number, plus something else, maybe your last four, your social, and vote. Um, these are things that we have to look at that, that increase participation and not worry about the incumbent leadership trying to decrease participation because, and everybody knows this, the incumbent always has the advantage when, when participation is low. Yeah. And they also, and, and the incumbent also has the advantage because they have the resources from the union funds to, 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 to fund their campaign being what versus you guys trying, you trying to run for office or get in, you have to use your own money. Well, yeah, there was, you know, we had fundraising. We did the best we could. You know, lawyers are very expensive. You cannot run a campaign in this union without them. Of course. Um, we, we found ourselves in a situation where, um, you know, we're fight, we, 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 we wind up, we're against, um, you know, two lawyers. We're, we're, we're against the election committee lawyer and we're against um, uh, the campaign lawyer uh, from the other side and even, even general counsel of Local 100. So we, we find ourselves you know, up against the wall, and, and I don't mind being up against the wall. I, I really don't. But these kind of things have to be identified, and people should understand exactly what, what, are, what are these obstacles that you face trying to run. I've I seen something in the groups during the campaign, even about a forging of signatures. Oh. <laughs> now, how, how, did, how, did, how do people get away with that? I'll tell you how they get away with it. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna give you another story that is intertwined with this. Um, we, we, we were bringing up um, a lot of their people on, 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 in protests um, for harassing our people about getting petitions and, and, and campaigning and stuff like that in, 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 in the previous depots that I had mentioned, Grand Avenue and Mother Clara Hale and Tuskegee. And um, we, 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 were, we, were for, we were lodging most of the protests that were, 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 were we, we considered to be heavy duty. I mean, these were hard hitting. And we, you know, uh, maybe it was time for us to take a loss or something, but there was something that went down at LaGuardia uh, Depot uh, from MTA bus. And the, 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 the people there, you know, they, they throw a block party for the, for the neighborhood. And somebody had donated some jet tickets who happened to be a, um, a compensation representative. That compensation representative donated those tickets to help with the cause of the block party. Now, I know these guys from LaGuardia, you know, the committee and the people there for a very long time. I, I went there to help out on their strike in 2001 and um, collected some money from, from, from my shop, you know, to hand over to the strikers, plus food and all that stuff we were doing back then. And so I got to know them. So I, I really come to everything they do, their Christmas parties. Um, they're my friends. So I went to this. And, you know, a few people went along that were, you know, part of my slate. So. There's a battered women's shelter around the corner. I'm gonna get to this in a second. I know you think I'm going off on a tangent. There's a battered, um, there's a battered women's shelter around the corner, and there's women and children in this. Uh, it's like a hotel. It's a temporary living uh, space. So they invited them to come over, and they had the the jumpy thing for the kids and the balls and all that. But they were running out of food, and they were running out of drink, and they were running out of cups and plates and all that that you do at a barbecue. Barbecue's on the street, not, not in the property. It's a, it's a block party right next to LaGuardia. So they decided to, they took the, the jet tickets and they raffled them off to raise the money. Now the, the neutral monitor ruled against us because she never spoke to the person who actually got the money and bought the stuff. Now they were brought up on charges to be removed 
Richie Davis being the one that was the, um, the head of the trial committee, right? Talk total kangaroo court. And he <laughs> turned around and, and, and um, you know, despite the, the new witness um, said that they were guilty of, 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 of taking a, a campaign contribution from an employer and, and using it towards the campaign, which is completely untrue. So they removed them for that even though we proved that we had the um, receipts and we had the, the, the expenditures. The guy, the, the Barbara Deinhardt, who was the um, AAA monitor, she never interviewed this guy because he was away on vacation. This was the guy that you needed to talk to because he was the recipient of the money. Now we get to this other thing. So right away, boom, removed, right? Um, recommended by general counsel of, of, of Local 100 at the executive board that this thing go to trial. So the kangaroo court rules, even though it completely ignoring the witness's testimony, the rules that he is, um, he, uh, uh, Jack DeSena and, and Marjorie Johnson are removed from office only because they need to put in one of their guys because they, they can't win section elections in MTA bus. So their vice president, Rosconi, needed, needed a place to hang his hat. So they wanted to give him LaGuardia on a silver plate. <laughs> now, we, 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 come, we come over to the OA, right? Liz Rodriguez and, and, um, and, and Pat Jewett were look, going over the petitions for Stan United and noticed that 144 signatures were in the same handwriting and the same pen. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's so, crazy. Right. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, of course, made note of it. And, um, you know, it was looked at. And the, the neutral monitor said, oh, absolutely. So she called the person that did it, and that's Donald Yates, who was running for division chair of, of, of Manhattan Division uh, in Mapstoa, and he did admit that he did forge 144 signatures, but saying something like, oh, they, you know, I asked their permission, and they said, okay, which, uh, we, we even asked people who were on that, you know, that sheet, and they were like, he never asked me nothing. So, so they, they forged 144 signatures, plus on the bottom of those three petitions, this was three petitions on 144 signatures, there's a signature that, that says, I vouch that these signatures are legit. And then he signs that. So he actually even, um, you Gave know. Gave an admission. Right. He, gives, he, he's, he's, he, he, he makes himself guilty again, for lack of a better word. So, so now you have 144 felony counts of, of forgery, <laughs> and you have that on the That's bottom. That's crazy. <laughs> right? And then so, so charges are filed against... Uh, uh, Donald Yates and the general counsel of Local 100 at the e-board says, nah, this is nothing. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. So and, and didn't recommend that it go to trial. So you see the difference in, 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 in what you're up against when you're up against an incumbent. You got 144 um, uh, forgeries, felony forgeries. Felony forgeries. They're very, very serious. It's a lot more serious. You can't even forge your wife's name. You can't forge your brother's name. You certainly can't forge a stranger's name. No. That, that's a fact. So yeah. where, is he, where is he now? He's the chair of... Uh, He's division chair. Of, of, of Manhattan. Mapstone. Oh, we need to get him down here. I, w I want to talk about forging signatures. <laughs> we need to talk about... Donald Yates, I know you're listening, man. You know, like, I've known Donald for a long time, and, you know, it's, and he's... Uh, He's a knowledgeable guy to contract. A lot of a lot of the members speak highly of him, you know, when it comes to them getting in trouble or needing advice or something. So I'm very surprised to see him do something like that versus one of the other delegates who are not as knowledgeable or who don't have the 
the smarts that he has. You know, it's very, I'm, I'm very surprised, well, you know. You know, and, 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 and just, you know, a side note to that is, you know, when we, we collected, you know, almost 14,000 signatures, 13,000 something, and we did that on our own time. We did that, we're all working our tools. We all did that, you know, after work, vacation, weekends, um, time away from our families. We didn't forge anything. Um, everything that we had was legit. So, so, so for that to go down, that's a complete, that's a total insult to the mem like what I said, a very special time for the membership is election time. That is their benefit and they have every right to a, to a smooth and honest election. Yeah. Let me ask you, did you feel like you made any mistakes during your campaign? Like, if you was to do it again, what would you change? Would you change people? Would you, like, what would you do? If, if I was to look back, I would say communications. Um, I would probably get started a lot earlier in some places. See, the thing is, I had a lot of people fall off. I mean, in the beginning, you know, when you say, okay, it's 2013 now, we're gonna do this again. And then you start pulling people together, but then this one gets a promotion and this one says, oh, the hell with it, or this one's mother got sick. And you start losing key people. In the incumbent side, that's their income. They're all working for the, for the president. They're not going anywhere, no matter who gets sick. <laughs> but on our side, we're, we're an if, we're not a short thing. Who, so we lose people. Who chose your name? Because even up until this point, I get confused with, with the um, Transport Workers United and then Stand United, because everything hit me at one time when I decided to get involved, Stand United, Transport Workers United, and you know, who chose the name? It was just something that came about. It wasn't like one day we all got together and said, this is the name. It wasn't, it's, Transport Workers United didn't start out as a slate. It started out as an organization, um, you know, that we would participate in social justice um, events and we would participate in charities. And we, we, we became the alternate um, place for people to come for real news about the union. We would hold meetings once a month and then people would come and we'd talk about what's really going on. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. And then when we went to run, Transport Workers United became the slate. You know, everybody wanted that. They were like, yeah. Of course, um, Stan United decided to put in a protest in 2012 saying that we're trying to fool members into thinking that that's the union. And, <laughs> wow. it, you know, it, it <laughs> but, you know, just, and, and, and they knew that we existed. They just waited until if we would have changed our name, then everybody would say, who, who are these people? So, but they, they did lose that. But then the second time around, they really were pushing it, saying that we had to put Slade at the end of our name when we send out emails and all that. And I, I had arguments with the, the neutral monitor saying that we are still an organization even in the middle of this election. And if I send something out about um, Black Lives Matter or, or, or you know, anything, um, it, 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 I, I, don't, I shouldn't have to put Slade on it. Because it it's not coming from the slate. It's coming from Transport Workers United. And, and Transport Workers United is um, recognized by the government because it is trademarked. It is, trademark, it is trademarked, and, we, um, and, and we've used it twice already in elections. And yeah, I've seen it, so it's legit. That, uh, what I don't understand is how um, certain things down here, they feel they could trump the law. Like, even when you get in trouble, like, it seems like certain things down here feel like they could trump the law. Like, it's federally recognized. Um, your slate name, Transport Workers United. So what's the argument? <laughs> you're, you're, again, you always remember, like what I said before, right? Imagine the President of the United States is running the, the national elections. This is what you got. 
So you're always up against it. And even with the neutral monitor, I'm going to say this, and I don't care if anybody disagrees with it out there, you know, as far as um, the neutral monitor or anybody for that matter. The neutral monitor is paid by the union, right? You, you, in, in business, and that's what this is, you're always loyal to your paycheck. And that's where your check is coming from. And you're guaranteed another runaround if the incumbent wins. Of course. So you're guaranteed in three years. Plus, the TW is a lot bigger than this. The whole lot of elections that go on out there. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, pleased with the, with, with the way the neutral monitor handled this. I thought that um, that thing that happened down there, I didn't know if you guys were going to bring it up, but that 20 minutes, we were kicked out of the How did that happen? Area. How did that happen? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, please, please explain <laughs> everything that went on. It's funny. Because we was hearing a lot of, like, crazy things. Where, where, where the count took place was at AAA's um, headquarters in Manhattan. 120 Broadway? Yeah. Okay. Now, um, that's their property. So we're, we're, we're in their property, and they're doing a count. And they have a count room, and they have um, scanners and computers and whatnot. And they have people looking through a glass um, from, uh, like, I guess it's a conference room, and there's a big glass into the room. So you're looking in the room. You can't see the scanners from the glass, but you could see the entire room. Now, we were allowed very few people in there to actually uh, monitor what was happening. Um, if you were a division officer or you're a candidate and you were looking at the, the scanner, you could see um, your ballots come up or whatever. But we were never told the results. This time around, and we were nev ne they never told us this was going to happen. We would have we um, probably protested this, maybe even outside of, 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 of this, uh, this arena. But we were never given the results of each division as we were in the past. For instance, let's say conductors is up, right? Mm -hmm. You got A division, B division conductors, right? And then you're going to know what the results are. And then later on, you could do your own tally. We were never told the tally of anything. You have 17 divisions, now, six, 16 divisions. We were never told the tally of anything until the end. Now, what I found amazing when they did the recount of uh, uh, Crystal, she won by you know a little bit more of a margin. I would have used that as my foundation, as the, the votes being inaccurate. Let me tell you, if they would have kept counting them, she probably would have shut them out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, I don't trust the process. I don't like it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't believe in it. I believe that if, it, and, and again, like I was saying, uh, this, this paper ballot thing is archaic, that if you demand a hand count, you deserve a hand count. I don't care who's paying for what, and I don't care what time of the night it is. This is too important to leave up to anything. Now, we, we, you know, we disputed what we disputed, but getting back to the 20 minutes. The 20 minutes that we were locked out, we were told to leave. We were told to leave by the people whose property that is. You can't demand that, oh, I'm going to stay in here, whatever. But why was the union lawyers in there? Right? The general counsel and the election committee lawyers, everybody was in there but us. Now, we, we were banging on the door and we realized what happened. The people that were looking through the glass from the, the conference room, they shut the shade on them. What was going on in that room for that 20 minutes that we couldn't see? Now, let's say it was nothing. Let's say, let's say it was absolutely, completely innocent. By moving us out of that room for 20 minutes, they totally... Um, they, they totally uh, just made that, that this whole uh, vote, they totally just made it uh, dishonest, regardless of what happened. Mm -hmm. you ju you just su it's suspect now, right? So, so, so 
you know, people saying, oh, I would have broke down the door. You can't do that in somebody else's property. They can't be breaking down doors. <laughs> hey, in the union hall? Yeah. That's, oh, you, yeah. That's fair game. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but you can't do that over there. So you have to be somewhat respectful. You know, now the Stand United people that were out in the hallway with us, they all thought that was funny. We didn't think it was too funny. And, and, and eventually, and the only reason we were let in for 20 minutes is because we were banging on the door with our lawyer. Why can't our lawyer be in there to see what's going on? See, the excuse was, well, we don't want any disruptions when we do the final count. What disruptions are we going to give you? The disruptions are going to be, we're going to put some of these ballots in the garbage and we don't want you to contest it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Anything can be done because now it's scanned, so it's in a computer. So all the numbers are in the computer. I mean, you got piles of paper all over the place, inboxes. Nobody knows anything. These things are falling out all over the floor. I try to point it out, and, you know, they were acting like I was doing something wrong by pointing it out, saying that you guys are kicking ballots all over the floor. I don't know whose ballots they are. They could wind up back in another basket. You know, it was, it was so sloppy. I'll give you another example. Too sloppy. I'll give you another example, right? Every day the ballots are picked up in bags from the post office, and they're brought to AAA. They, they, they must go down the street, as I've seen this thing. They, whoever's the temporary worker that's there cat goes to the post office, picks up the ballots, and drags them through the street for about 10 or 12 blocks on a wagon, right? Now, anything can happen between that post office and that AAA with those bags, and we would never know. You know, I mean, where, where is the integrity there? There is no integrity. On a wagon? Not even in a vehicle? No, not even in a vehicle. It couldn't even be a van. Wow. It was a wagon dragging them down the street. Oh, no, no, no. So see, how, how they do gotta, we... They basically, see, that's something major that has to be brought up. And the executive board, I believe the executive board has... We have to vote on finding another way to expedite the election process every election because that's, that's absurd. We have to find a way of getting another executive board before you're going to get anything out of <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, I see that you mentioned industrialized racism within transit. What is your, your take on MTA and industrialized racism? Well, I know, racism. We, yeah. I know we talked about that. Um, it, it, it's not as if the MTA has memos out saying be racist. Of course not. Um, as a matter of fact, they have memos out saying the opposite. Um, but the people that work in the MTA are people. And people outside of the MTA do have uh, racist and, and prejudicial uh, attitudes and beliefs. It's impossible to believe that once you get into that door, that MTA memos are going to take over. They're not. That's unrealistic. So you're going to have people that believe certain things. Now. It's, it's, it, it becomes a gray area between racism and placism because you still, you know, you still have people that are coming from, from areas where you know, they were poor. And they might be Latino, they might, they might be African American, they might, they might be white, but it, it's believed that you belong there. You know, there's a reason you're there. And, and, and that's some of the things that I've seen um, out of, uh, and I'm not gonna say all because in the, within the MTA, there's some very decent people. Um, within New York City Transit, I, I've met some very decent people, but I've also met some, you know, some real pieces of crap. And these are the people that, um, you know, that I'm referring to when I say that, uh, you know, they, they look down their nose at a lot of people. Now, we can, we can suppose, we can say something's a coincidence or something's not a coincidence, 
but, and then we leave it up to common sense to say, well, why? I'll give you an example. Discipline is the highest in schedule-driven departments. Schedule-driven departments being stations, buses, and RTO. Mm -hmm. What is the predominant um, color in those departments? African-American. African -American. Right. Now, is it a coincidence? No. Right, cleaners. They're not in schedule-driven department, but they're, 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 they're coming from the entry-level positions, traffic checkers. They're coming from the entry-level positions, right, that, that I'm talking about. Again, mostly African-American and Latino and Latina. Mm -hmm. so, I, so, so, so it begs the question, is, is, is there um, you know, racism and placism within the MTA? And not, again, not as an MTA policy, but from people within the MTA. And is it, is it, is it covered up and looked the other way by, by, by their coworkers? Now, when you bring it up and you make the accusation, the wagons are circled. Do you happen to have the number of how many people was disciplined last year? Last year, no, but I remember 2012, and I believe the number was the same even going back to 2002, and it was about 16,000 write-ups within the TAOA, and that does not include MTA bus. So, wow. wow. So basically you're talking about approximately half the membership was written up. Imagine this. Imagine you got, you're going to work for 25 years. Now, with this average, you're going to get written up 12 and a half times. <laughs> wow. Right? <laughs> you're so, going to get written up on something because there's so many rules there's, there's so many rules. I mean, in the rule book, I know that if, if, you, in the, if you don't have on a watch, then you could be written up for not having on a watch, you know. You, the rules are set in, in opposition, and, and, and they could decide to discipline you or not, depending on, on how they feel. Um, there, there were certain provisions put in the contract. Uh, attachment B, 2002 MOU, was put into the contract to, um, to, to try to offset this heavy-duty discipline that goes into labor relations. Um, it, it, it's not adhered to in, in the departments that I spoke to, although it, within the depot it's easier to do it than it is in RTO and stations because you actually have a, a depot, a reporting point, a manager that, you know, you know where his office is and, you know, it's, it's there. You work out of 100th Street, you work out of, you know, uh, Manhattanville, you know, you work out of East New York. Same as in car equipment. Uh, besides the cleaners and the, and the property protection agents, you're probably talking about 75 to 80 percent um, have a shop. So that union rep can address write-ups with the uh, with 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 whoever AGM or, or superintendent. Wh yeah, whoever whoever it is that you have um, that's in charge of that, and keep these write-ups from going to labor relations. And 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 a lot of the depot chairs are successful in doing that. There's no conspiracy there, but in some of these other places write-ups are, are fired right off, or labor relations will put out, um, you know, a, a, a mandate saying that customer complaints come right to us, um, accidents come right to us, you know, these are things that come right to us, right to us, you can't handle them in the, in the depot. So, so um, and, and I don't believe attachment B says that those things can't be handled in the depot, but labor relations decided to interpret the contract their way. Now it's up to the union to turn around and interpret it our way. So if we're going to go out there and we're going to attack discipline. You got to do it in two ways, right? I mean, not just in a contract sitting around a table talking about it all day, every day. What has to be done is there has to be a mobilization. There has to be a rally. If we had won the election, that would have happened already, at least the first one, because the public needs to know, right? The public are our families, 
They're our daughters, they're our mothers, they're our brothers, they're our sisters, they're our, they're our friends, they're our neighbors. <laughs> exactly. They're of the course. people that stand next to us in the, in the supermarket. And they need to know what happens to transit workers. Every day they get on the bus. Bus operators smiling, good morning, they sit down. They don't know the BS that that bus driver goes through. They don't know what that train operator and that conductor goes through. They don't know that, 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 that they get spit on. They don't know. I mean, these are, these, are, these are horrible working conditions. Can you imagine working in an office and anybody could just walk in and, and you're sitting at your desk and they spit on you and walk out and it's all good? You know, so, so, so we face discipline and that humiliation at the same time. We, we, had, we needed to get out in the public, leaflet them, rally outside of two Broadway and say enough is enough. These numbers are going to go down. We're going to find a way to make this happen. Spoke about this before. You need to change the rules of the game because you keep playing the game. I don't care who you are. You could be F. Lee Bailey as a union rep. You could be Johnny Cochran. If the rules are set against you, you're going to lose. Right. That's, that's, that's true. Right? And that's, that's what we need to change. We need to change the rules. Yeah, definitely. And we, and we start by mobilizing and making everybody aware of what's going on. Of course, but nobody wants to be made aware. And a lot of, and I really, personally, I really feel that a lot of the membership is scared. The, you know, this current administration, they have the membership scared to speak up. And I, and I don't know, I use the analogy of these, these guys will come into these locations, you know, dressed to scare people like they're Bumpy Johnson and Frank Lucas. <laughs> you know, so it, 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 it's like basically um, we need, more, you know, we need more people to talk to talk and fight to fight and get the, and rally the members the way the members used to be rallied under Roger Toussaint, you know? I mean, the, the member, a lot of the members are scared to even take a day off. Of course. To, to bang out, you know what I'm saying? So you're not going to get them to do much. Because, I mean, and I feel that it's the leadership fault. They're not making us feel like we support it. Nobody don't want to jump out the, the gate and then be flogged, beat in public, you know what I'm saying, by MTA, get chastised. Like, look, y'all go do this, we go do that to y'all. And it goes on. That's what the discipline is that you mentioned. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, I, I don't believe that, that this administration believes in mobilizations. I don't, believe, I don't think they believe in rallies. They don't believe that it does any good because there's no follow-up. Um, let, let's take stations, uh, station boots, for instance, right? They, you know, they, they broadbanded pretty much station agents, but the station agents still don't know what that means. There was a letter after the contract was ratified that said that there'd be what, what they now nicknamed station agent of the future. Now that they, but, but, but station agents don't know what that means. I mean, they hear management and, and the union reps telling them, oh, you're going to be outside with a, um, with a tablet and you're going to be giving people directions and you're going to be this and that. I, you know, um, and this is probably only during rush hour, not, not in the middle of the night. You're not going to stand there with a tablet. So the public is not protected. I'm not saying a station agent is going to jump out of a booth and beat up somebody that's mugging someone, no, but they, they will they, be pushing that button. They will, they will be contacting the police, or they will be preventing the crime simply because they're there. And, 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 and instead of retreating, which seems to be the policy of this administration, let's retreat. Let's get our propaganda machine to call it a victory that was saving jobs, and then we're going to broadband <laughs> them. Because when you're not punching on your tablet, you're sweeping up the platform or you're cleaning up snow, yeah, which that's means crazy. That you, you, that's crazy. you're taking CTA jobs away. Exactly. Right? So, 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 so instead of that, we need to be keeping the boots open, right? How, how can you see something, say something if you're not there? Yeah, you can't replace a human. And right. they're trying to take away the CTA jobs anyway because um, they're removing garbage cans for some of the stations. 
as some type of pilot program. Well, yeah, it's a pilot program that the MCA started with it trying to <clears throat> remove garbage cans and keep the stations cleaner. So <clears throat> it's it's quote unquote working in some in some parts of the system. So basically, if it works, they're going to expand it to the whole system. Removing garbage cans Remo keeps it cleaner. <laughs> 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 so they that say, don't even sound right. <laughs> of course not. You know. So what I want you to, but what I wanted to talk about is continue talking about this institutional racism, Joe. As yeah. far as the, because we spoke before about the apprenticeship program and when it was started and how effective it is, how effective it was. Because now I understand that if the, the apprenticeship program was cut under this administration, it was you know they got rid of it. But basically, I believe you were saying before that. Um, you, you were on the committee and you were fighting back when they were back when the MTA was not trying to institute it because they said that well these people who are in these positions of cleaner and traffic checker don't have the capacity to pass the exam or even get themselves in a position to where they can work these titles in these you know in these maintainer titles in these different departments that that need that require the training and that require the um you know the hands-on experience so. Can you elect? You know, can you elaborate to us and everybody as uh, far as uh, what, how hard that fight was? Yeah, this was a 2002 contract, and um, it provided for an apprenticeship program. The apprenticeship program um, was is a three-year program that was open to anybody from entry-level titles, and then later on, you know, of course, the bus operator, train operator, anybody that wanted to move over laterally and learn a, um, a, a construction trade or learn, you know, a mechanic trade. And what made it um, special was that for some people, it was a second chance in life. Now, when they, when they, when they broadbanded CTAs, um, I'm sorry, broadbanded, when they, when they put the WEP program into place, the WEP program being um, you know, people that were collecting welfare with, with clean trains for their checks, right. when they put that into place, they, they took the CTAs and they took them out of the competitive class and they put them in the labor class. So they would no longer take a test because that was the only way you could hire WEP workers um, was, was to eliminate the exam. Now, when they did that, when they took them out of competitive class, they took them out of any way to promote. So CTA became a dead-end job. So once you were hired there, that was it. You, there was no promotion out. If, if you learned a skill, you could go take an open competitive test somewhere. But you, you didn't bring your vacation with you. You didn't bring all your sick time with you. You basically started over except for NICES. Um, what the apprenticeship program did was it gave an opportunity to people. And, and what a lot of people don't look at, um, you, you could have single mothers, um, you know, people that, you know, life wasn't that easy on them, you know, in the beginning. But now, now they have steady employment, and now they're trying to build their life, and they want to make more money for their family. And, of course, now promotional opportunities will become available to them. Um, when they become uh, car inspectors or, you know, in, in maintenance away or whatever. And that was a wonderful thing, but it was very hard to get that going because management was very, very resistant. I mean, there were some real serious shouting matches between myself and the uh, vice president of uh, human resources at the time. And these code words kept coming at me, and they were like daggers, you know, in my temples about these people don't have the aptitude to learn this kind of work. Um, and these people who, who they were speaking about well, specifically. Right, well, who, I mean, who's promoting? See, I mean, I, you would be more sensitive this, to this than me, and mm -hmm. I got it, mm -hmm. right? So maybe you would jump over the table, but for me, I, I, 
I took offense to it. I mean, there were even letters written um, where I told them that, you know, not, not, not addressing it in that way, but telling them how offensive it was that you think that our, our people on this side, because they're hourlies and they're in um, letting them off the hook, saying that they, they are in uh, entry-level positions, that they're not going to be able to learn this stuff. Like, who learns it? You know, I mean, I wasn't born with a wrench in my hand. I mean, you know, you, you, you do learn it, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's not rocket science. You, you can learn the job. So, so it was a hard-fought fight to get this thing done, um, and we finally did. Um, they still threw a whole lot of uh, uh, obstacles in our way. This can't be done, that can't be taught, this to that, that to that. You know, I mean, I can't remember everything, but because this was about 14 years ago when the contract came out and then subsequent after that, but I do remember that um, um, the ones, the people that we were trying to initiate it with were against it, even though it was, a con it was contractual. Now, it became very, very successful. We had some groundbreaking individuals. When you take people, um, you know, women, and you put them in non-traditional roles and they succeed, there's a certain amount of um, satisfaction there, for, even for the person that, that laid that brick for them, for them to walk on. And there's some pretty wonderful uh, union sisters out there now that, that did take that road, that, that became successful. And of course they promoted on out, and now they became managers. But they'll always appreciate the union for the, for the, um, for the opportunity. Of course, because like I, you know, there's, because again, when you're on the, the apprenticeship program was so good because basically you didn't have to come out of your pocket. You know, you were away from your title, they paid you 40 hours, ba you, know, uh, you know, based on your hourly rate, and you worked along, you know, you went to Apex for free or whatever. Elect you had to learn electrician, and then you, um, and then you worked in the maintainer title that you wanted to go into, alongside them for three years, and then you, had, and then you had to take the exam. Well, that's right. And and Apex came after that, the next contract, because they still wanted to have, say again, another obstacle. They still wanted to have some kind of trade school background, so it was, it was even difficult for us to get somebody who had no background into apprenticeship. So three years later, when Apex came out, then you would go for free again um, for six months, and, and, and they couldn't take that away from you no matter what. Mm -hmm. Now, when Samuelson cut the program, and I mean he cut it massively, there were people that were in um, Apex that as soon as they graduated, they sent them home. Wow. Why do you think he cut the program? He, um, I don't believe his philosophy is the same as mine when it comes to um, that kind of thing, and maybe there's not enough compassion to, 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 to understand exactly what I'm saying, and, and, and maybe he's listening to people who don't believe in, in that sort of thing, and maybe it's just a Tucson thing. I don't know. But I do know, I, what I do know is that, and I know that some of the apprenticeship programs started up again, but not like the numbers we had. We had 96 Every three years? Contractually, it was nine, yeah. close up in 96, yeah. Right. So, so and, 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 you know, this, this, this went out to everybody. There was some difficulties. Um, Mab Stoa, for instance, trying, you, you couldn't transfer the pension. You know, they, they, it was hard to get somebody from, from, from OA into, into NICERS. They would say, well, that, that pension don't count. Or if you had over five years, now you're vested. Now you go this way and you're starting over again in, in NICERS. That kind of thing was, was difficult. But for the most part, it was a successful program. That, that, that made a lot of people um, feel good about transit and feel good about um, their union. Now, cut, cutting this thing makes it the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I was there the last day of Apex to go there so, to, to, to have people cry on our shoulder and say, why'd they do this to us? 
Because I used to go there all the time. I used to go to Apex. I used to go to the apprenticeship. I used to set up the schedules for apprenticeship as a division chair because most of the apprentices would come into car equipment. Nelson Rivera, the vice president, and myself as a division chair, we used to go to management and make them budget um, apprentices to come into to car equipment so there wouldn't be any brushback from any other department who didn't want them because they seemed to be a, a hindrance to production, right? Mm. So, so and, and, you know, this was breeding a certain culture. I'm going to get into that, but you know what I'm saying. But in car equipment, we had most of the apprentices come over, and then we would take care of them, make sure that they didn't get into trouble, make sure they passed their probation, make sure they show up to school, make sure that everywhere they worked, they were being taught what they were supposed to be taught, um, make sure that the equipment, anywhere from R32s to 160s, that they would see some of that equipment along the line during their training, right, and, um, and use the tools accordingly. So that was um, a matter of pride as well. We, we took great pride in, um, in, 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 in what we were able to accomplish. It's yeah. a beautiful thing, you know, but to cut something like that is, I would, you know, I just would really just love to know what's going through your mind it's because it was successful and people, just like you said, people were ready to graduate and people were, you know, I myself was on the, <clears throat> I see we have a call. No calls right now. No, especially no private calls. I'm blocking number. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so basically that's what I mean by say, um, you know, it was an it was a program that was effective, you know, along with the child care fund. Lord knows I think if he was to try to cut the child care fund, somebody would uh he would uh somebody would try to assassinate him because uh a lot of people use that and need that extra money to help out with babysitting costs, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, child care, you know, came right into that because people were able to use that um, to go to school and then pick up their child. It was, a, it was a wonderful thing within the company. Right. And you would think that even, you know, as the MTA in New York City Transit, being a government agency, would be more social conscience, you know, would have more of a social conscience and, 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 and want to um, encourage that kind of uh, uh, environment rather than discourage it. I'll tell you one thing I like. Thank you for the uh, tuition reimbursement. I just use that. <laughs> Help me pay back for some of my school. But um, you know, me and Jamel, we just went to become shop stewards. And the class was interesting, but I don't feel that it prepared us for the field. I don't know how familiar you are with how the shop steward class is, is ran or how you think it should be ran, you know, for us to be more prepared to deal to actually deal with management instead of being to report back to the union, like how we can handle things in the field. As far as like, did we, did we learn like how to write G2s or anything like that? No. That's a major thing. What I, what I, I, I taught um, shop steward classes for car equipment back in like, let's say 2008, 2009. And my curriculum, you know, had, had, had multiple facets that were valuable. Um, course contract, and we would go through the contract and we, and we would show general provisions. And then of course, car equipment specific provisions um, uh, do interpretation of what, what they meant. We used to do, um, you know, acting out like you be the boss, you be the rep, you know, what do you say back and forth, blah, this, this kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we had pretty successful class going within our department. Um, and um, one of the things that was important, besides history, you got to teach it the history of your union, um, was organizing. Now, organizing, when I, when I went to Shop Steward class back in 2001, um, the, from, from the, the beginning of the Tucson administration, it was Eddie Kay was teaching them. 
and it was about organizing. And, you know, we used to have slideshows and inspirational speakers, and these guys were all about organizing. They taught you that it's fine to, to, to learn the contract and learn how to represent a member and, 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 you know, go through that kind of stuff. What does political action do? What is this? What is that? How to get forms for training. But that's called, that's social work, right? On the other end is organizing. Organizing is looking for leaders. You, you actually, what you're doing is, you have a class, and you go through <coughs> organizing exercises, but you're looking for the, the leader, the organizer. It, we're born with it. You can't teach organizing. All you can do is find it. You can find the organizer. You know what the organizer is? The organizer is the person that does the, 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 the depot picnic or the, um, you know, collects money for somebody who had a death in the family or something like that. That's your organizer. They were born with that. It's like a, almost like an inner generosity that they can't help but to give out. They're leaders. They're the ones that are going to change the rules. They're the ones that are going to get you the better contract. The organizers were the ones that got you the contract. The social workers are the ones that maintain it. So what you want to do is you want organizers to be out there, leaders. Now, by design, if a shop steward class is not teaching organizing, if they purposely leave it out, they're not looking for leaders. What they're looking for is soldiers, people that are going to go out there and give your message, and that's it. No competition, nothing for the future. A union dies when it doesn't, when union leaders don't um, replace themselves or don't set someone up to be their replacement. When they keep it all for themselves, when they get greedy, right? This is mine, mine, mine. I'm going to appoint. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to international. I'm going to do it. And it, it all becomes about you. It doesn't become about the organization. The organization dies. It's like a tree without water. You know, you can't, you can't, um, no organization can grow even without um, debate, right? Spirited debate within the organization. Responsible caucuses going at each other, pushing each other to, to, to do better. Even people like us, Transport Workers United, going out there and talking about Tier 6 made that lobby day thing happen. They never would have did anything if it wasn't for us saying something about it. They knew we lit that fire, and there was no way they could avoid it because people started to ask questions now. What do you mean my pension's not as good as yours? What do you mean I, I got a cap on my retirement? What do you mean I got a 10-year vestment? Think about this, 10-year vestment, right? A lot of people don't even see that in tier six. 10-year vestment, which means if you work for eight years, but then you want to move on, you don't have a pension. They're just going to give you back what you gave into the pension and you move on. You just wasted eight years of your life. But in tier four, we have a five-year vestment. That means that when 62 comes, I have a pension. Even if I went somewhere else, I still got this. I have what the MTA contributed, right? Now, all these things, you need organizers to change what's going on. <clears throat> Speeches, politicians, bus trips, don't do it. Organizers do it. Rallies do it. Mobilizations do it. Education does it. So do you think that um, as far as the mobilizing being taught inside the shop steward class, you think that call came from up top or is the individual person that's teaching the class? The individual that's teaching the class is probably told from up top what to teach. Mm. Um, definitely. There's no loose cannon there. Yeah. And, and another thing I don't understand is longevity pay. What is it, 15 years for us? It starts at 15, yeah. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's pennies. I mean, it hasn't gone up. It might have been something back in the day. You know, yeah. but today's money, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. No, that's the same thing with the uh, night differentials. The night differentials, because I was looking through the contract, and the night differentials are the same, I think, from, when, from the era when you started. From 1985, it was from 1985, yeah. Wow. If you want to know what your title made in 1985, you can do it by looking at 
10%, right, of what you make now, and that's what the title made back then. Because it, it froze at that 10% of that title all the way through. It's, it's the same money. If my title made $13.50 an hour in 1985, then I'm getting $1.35 now as, um, as night differential, and it never changes. Wow. Now, that's got to change because that's something. You know, that's, that's, that's real money to people. Um, that, that, it's, it's, it's only getting smaller as the cost of living goes up. So what, what you feel needs to change as far as right now for us to make any kind of leeway or progress, whether it's management, contractual, whatever it may be? What, and, and working with what we have, like the election is over, we know what we're working with. What needs to change with us? Because we can't sit back and pout and say, well, this person is doing this, he don't care, this, that. What do we need to do as a people? All right. Well, you're probably not going to see any organizing and mobilizing. If you see any of it, it'll just be token. It'll just be BS. It'll be just something to, to write a flyer about. If the members organize themselves, and we, and we take a lesson from contemporary history, we take a lesson from, from, from the 90s and the New Directions movement, um, we, take a, we take a lesson from what they did. They organized, they, they organized the union without the leadership. In 1999, there was a meeting at Manhattan Center, which was historically beautiful. It was the membership made the union have a mass membership meeting and dictated to the union what they wanted and, and said that they were willing to go on strike to the point where the leadership of the union never said, hey, we, we're going to strike, you know, or threaten to strike. But the mayor, Giuliani at the time, did issue um, the $25,000 fine, uh, which, which multiplies every single day um, for anybody that even utters the word strike, only because the members were beginning to organize the union and, and, and pushing the union in a certain way. We probably never would have got what we got, even though there were plenty of givebacks. That's that, maybe we'll leave that for another show. But, but, but there was still a 12% raise over three years because the membership pushed the union. They were tired of, of, of uh, pretty much be, mirrored what's going on now. So what we have to do is we have to demand from the union that we want to organize and mobilize. We want our rallies. We want them outside to Broadway. And we want to know what's going on with contract talks. And we want to know, you know, what, what, what fights are we going to take on. But we want to know about them <coughs> now, not October. We want to know about them now. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, me and Tramel talk all the time. And progressive action is definitely going to be a, um, a, a serious force when it comes to this upcoming contract coming up. You know, we're going to have you and we're going to have other great minds. We're going to get Tucson. If, if he's listening, we're going to get him back up here in the studio. And we're all going to sit down and we're going to hash out and we're going to talk about a way and, you know, things that need to be changed in the contract. And we're also, you know, we're going to talk about a variety. I, we I want us we want us to talk about a variety of things okay so basically because this next because that last contract was the biggest sham that i've ever seen in my time on the job and i'm saying it with, i'm saying it with my chest i don't you know so that's what i mean where i say we want the union to be held accountable we want the union to understand we're not going to stand back and just accept what the governor, if he decides to give you something else again, if it's all if it's already written somewhere, okay, we're gonna give you this. No, we're not gonna accept that. You know, we're gonna try to, you know, with this, you know, with this show here, we're gonna try to get out to the members as much as possible. No, we're not gonna accept anything that doesn't bring 
our salaries, you know, up to the standard of living that it costs to live here in this town here because it's, it's, it's getting expensive with the gentrification everywhere and the prices of the rents and everything is skyrocketing, you know. But <clears throat> one thing I do want to ask you, right, um, at, while we're talking about the union, back when we struck in 2005, um, we lost the dues checkoff for, I think, 18 months or something, approximately, what Roger said. So, and the union wasn't bankrupt back then. Okay, so basically, you know, we came out on top. And, but now, from what I understand, the union, sol the union solvency is on shaky ground. From what I'm hearing, that the union is in the red. So, can you give us and the members clarity on the, solvent on the, on the state of the solvency of the union? Well, yeah, and I and I I believe that uh, you know I'll share with you uh, LM tools. You'll be able to look at the expenditures. Um, basically, what what you're looking at is unethical spending of the members' dues, um, overpaid staff, and overstaffed union, um, especially during election years. And you'll probably find when the LM twos come out at the end of the month, you'll find an exorbitant amount of money was spent in 2015 to release people to come out and, 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 and tell everybody how great the leadership is and to tout themselves and to get themselves seen by members so they can get voted for. Um, you know, this happens every three years. If you look at 2013, you see us, you know, like $9 million in the red. These are things that, you know, I mean, they, they went and they bought these two and a half floors in Brooklyn, which I don't know if they have any value to ever sell in the future. It was probably the worst purchase I've ever seen anybody make um, what, what is the L, what you said, the LL what? LM2s. What, what is that? That's labor management uh, disclosure and reporting. It's basically um, the union has to tell the government what, what it's spending its money on. You know, that's to prevent uh, just, uh, you know, like corruption. Like in, unions have been through in the past, just taking members' dues and doing whatever they want. But within that, there is still allowable unethical expenditures that aren't illegal, but they're just ridiculous. I share with you uh, uh, an audit that was done by the International um, on the Samuelson administration after the, um, uh, the, the, the blow up between the treasurer and the president in 2010 between Izzy Rivera and John Samuelson. And it was funny because out of all the people that blew our money, Izzy Rivera was the one that paid the price for it. Um, and he was the one that was dropping dime. So, so you look, you'll look at the expenditures. This, is, this was an independent audit. And the expenditures that I showed you were just the ones they didn't have receipts for. Um, $162 still missing. The ones that, you look, that, that you'll be able to look at, you're looking at um, steakhouses. Um, in other words, like, now that I got the member's credit card, I don't need to spend my own money expenditures. <laughs> wow. Chocolates, earrings, earrings. trips. Flying dogs around. They're all in there. <laughs> in this? It's in this? Yeah. yeah. So how, how can the average member, like, how can we obtain this document? That document, um, we, I had it up on our website. And then um, our what, website. What happened to the website? It's so? under construction. It's, we, we took all that old stuff down, and we're working on some new stuff. I wish I had it uh, done in time for the radio show. No, you go, listen, you go come back. Plenty of time. Exactly. <laughs> Even if you have to come up here just to say your radio, the, your, your um, website, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, so we, 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 we will put that back up. Um, you know, it's, it's a 56-page report, very small font. 
Um, so there's a lot of information there. A lot of it had to do with the Haiti fund and how that was how that went down. That was awful. We actually brought charges against the administration, which went nowhere. They never saw their way to the executive board. They never even got through the recording secretary at the time. And um, and and when we tried to audit again a year later, we were blocked by um, general counsel of Local 100. We even brought an attorney there to try to unblock them, and they were like, "No, nah, you're not seeing the books." We we go fix that general um, counsel issue. We actually got a um, a little connection with that. But if we go rectify that situation, <laughs> <laughs> that that was told before we even started the show that you know that could be fixed, and we were supposed to meet with. Um, phone call was supposed to be made for us to meet with them, but we told them we wasn't ready yet. Okay, I mean, that's, if whatever you can fix, good, <laughs> but they wouldn't let us see the books, and we wanted to see the books to see if the credit card nonsense was still going on. Well, you, I mean, it is in a way. I mean, you think about the Women's Committee, right? Now, the Women's Committee should be one of the most powerful committees in Local 100. There are 8,000 8, to probably maybe nine, even 10,000 women now, right, um, who, have, who have different needs than men. So those are the needs that need to be addressed, but not just locker rooms and bathrooms. There's a whole lot of stuff that, of that, that needs to be addressed, and, and it needs to be a direct line to the president. And the president's office, once they get a mandate from the Women's Committee, get it done. Get it over to management and get it done. I'll give you an example. We have cleaners out there that are working right now as we speak. You have people out there that you know, are either mentally ill, or they're on drugs, or they're drunk or whatever, and they chase these people around. Most of them are women. They, they wind up, you know, you know how sometimes they'll, 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 a train will come into a terminal and they'll lock the whole train up except for one door? And it, it might be like an R46 where it's 75 feet long. It's a 75-foot booby trap. You, you, you cleaner goes in there to clean, and now somebody comes in, a predator, you see? And these are issues that, you know, could bring police to the area could bring, you know, make sure that that supervisor doesn't disappear, that the supervisor's on the platform looking and protecting those, those, those cleaners. Every, every issue, <clears throat> I just gave you one example, but every issue that women have have to have a direct line to the president. The Women's Committee should not be junkets to fly around the place and put up stupid pictures of Facebook of them dancing. It shouldn't be, um, you know, like meetings where they spend half the meeting just trying to break up fights with each other. You know, these are, this is things that... that, that you know, there should be an agenda, and that agenda should be moved forward to the president's office. And if the president doesn't fix it, the president's office needs to be held accountable. But you're not going to hold the president accountable if you're working for the president. So that committee is a, is, is, is a dog with no legs. Yeah. And I think some of the members need to understand is that um, we don't work for the union. The union works for us. I think that's, that's big confusion. And, and the union makes it seem like um, we work for them. And that needs to, to, to get fixed. Let me ask you, um, how did you feel? Because I asked Toussaint this last week. How did you feel when uh, Mayor Bloomberg called us like thugs during that time? How did you feel? It was very typical of somebody in his, in his position to refer to us that way. If you're African-American, <laughs> you're going to take it the way that you, know, you take it. Um, if, you're, if you're a working person, you're going to take it that way, too. Like, you know, he's so removed from us that because we have a demand that, we, that, that we, we're criminals, that we're bullies, because, we, but because we're speaking out and, and, and standing up for our rights, that person is so removed from me that that man is not my representative as mayor, right? Now, I don't know why he would think that it was just okay to say that and it, it's just an idle insult because the African-American community especially sees that as... No matter, no matter what I do and no matter how I project myself, 
I'm still thought of as a criminal. Mm -hmm. Right. When meanwhile, you have people like Martha Stewart and you have people like Bernie Madoff that committed white collar crimes. They're not thugs. Right. Exactly. But we're the thugs because we're just standing up for to have to, to get some extra pennies, you know, and it's just, and it's just pennies. It's just pennies, yeah. <laughs> Compared to him, of course. It's just, it's, you know? a, it's a it's a Daily News soundbite. It's a New York Post soundbite. It's 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 like for him to be up there, he's the hero of the working man by sticking up for us by insulting us, not uh, not realizing. And you know what a lot of people don't understand about the strike is the public showed us a tremendous amount of of support, regardless of his insults and the way he acted, which he had no business doing because he really didn't have that much of a stake in his game except his own reputation. But it, we were dealing with the governor and the MTA, not the mayor. The mayor has a couple of board members, but did they stand up for us at all? No. So if he's taking their side, then, 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 then the hell with him. But, but the public, when we were on those picket lines, the public was outstanding. I mean, you know, I wish, I wish I had videoed some of this and we could put it up where, you know, a school would empty out, a little children, and they'd come and they brought the cookies they baked us the night before. Oh, really? You wow. know? Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. One... We were, I was, I was going around Queens making sure that a lot of these places had what, you know, they needed, the picket lines, middle of the night. And you remember how cold it was. Oh, it was yeah, like do I. four degrees, you know, it was like nasty. Yo, cause my feet were frozen. It took maybe three hours to unthaw my feet. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. I went to this location and they couldn't, the, 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 the police officer that I was there, now 99% of the police were, were good with us. But this one guy decided he was going to be Mr. You know, um, you know, Mr. Law, so he wouldn't let them light a fire in the barrel, and um, and he, and and I said, man, hell with him. I started lighting it up, and then he comes out. He starts quoting this ordinance, that ordinance, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, that's interesting, you know. And then I, <laughs> I got the fire all lit. So then he calls the fire department. The fire department shows up, and they brought coffee and donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Show him up. Oh, yeah, so, so, so we had a tremendous amount of support, and a lot of people knew that what we were doing was standing up for working people. Now, in the beginning of the show, you know, I mentioned about the uh, current president of, of the union not attending um, the black function, the black history, um, the function that they had at the union hall. How do you feel about that, knowing that the membership is mostly African-American and him not participating and events, but participate in another ethnic events. Somebody from Black Lives Matter was there? I don't know. I think I saw something like that. Yes. Yeah, I saw, I saw it on the website. Somebody from Black Lives Matter was there. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. um, That's why. That, that kind of answers that. <laughs> but um, I, I really believe that he doesn't, he, 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 he's not showing the respect. I mean, even if he just pretends to show the respect. To show the respect to you and your history, which is a, which which is American history, and um and 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 everything that African Americans have been through, and I'm never going to pretend that I know. All I can do is sympathize and pay attention, but um you, you as a president of a union, you represent everybody. You have to be at that. Um you you have to be at everything. I'm sorry, but we're paying you a lot of money. This this man's making two hundred seventy-two thousand dollars a year. He can show up. I mean, this man has more emergencies than the U.N. <laughs> <laughs> so he's getting right now. He's still the lo local 100 president because he was elected. So he's getting that salary, too. No, this is how it works. I mean, if he did that, I'd nail him. Um, he's getting he's the he's the uh, executive vice president of the TW International it means he's number two. 
behind the president, behind uh, Lombardo. Lombardo, right? A lot of people don't even know we have a, a, a the union that's above local 100, but that's that's the structure. He's the number two man there, so he he pulls in that salary. Now the crime, it's not a crime, but the the, the 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 thing that's not right, immoral. Yeah, well, even that. But but we have a hundred and maybe ten, a hundred twenty thousand TW members. They they don't know that their number two man is is here working in New York, being the president, and you know, and 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 collecting both salaries. You know what is that about? You this is the, this is the way it needs to be. You you can be an officer over there, and that's fine. But when you're here, you collect this money. When you're there, you collect that money. You put in a pay stub over there and a, and a, and a, and a pay sheet over here. And then that money can never be the same every year. It has to vary depending on where you are here and where you are there. The president here makes a lot less than the executive vice president over there. As a matter of fact, he makes half, right? But this man is collecting all this money from the international. Now, if I'm in Miami or if I'm in Houston, right, if I'm in L.A. or if I'm in San Francisco, I, I should have a problem with that because he's taking my dues money in Miami and he's working over here. And I don't, I don't know if they know that, but I have friends all over the place, so this show's going to go all over the place. Oh, <laughs> I tell okay. them at what time I said this. Um, <clears> and then, you know, so that's, that's, that's where I got a problem with that. Now, we're always going off on tangents, but going back to um, uh, these events at the hall, you know, there's a Latino event. I mean, he never misses Quill Connolly, never misses Russian Day. No. I mean, there's a political statement to say there. Um, but on top of that, and I... I this, is, this was a point I wanted to bring out, and this is probably the closest time we'll ever get to it. The parade in Harlem, right? African-American Day parade. Right. Um, never miss it. I see the police. I see EMS. I see uh, fire department. I see all the uniformed services, right, marching sharply right up the street. Even sanitation. Sanitation, too. They have their equipment with them, fire trucks, police. Uh, ambulances, right? Then there's us. Now, I always said, you know, we need to, in order for the public to, to respect us, we need to show that we respect ourselves. We have a lot of people that, that, that are uniform. Bus operators wear uniforms, train crews wear uniforms, um, RCIs wear uniforms, there's a, the station agents wear uniforms. Some of us don't. I don't wear a uniform. Um, our uniform people should be up front, marching smartly behind a banner with our president in the front, right? The rest of us that don't wear uniforms can be behind, and then our equipment can be with us to show that we respect ourselves to the public who we demand respect from. Instead, what we have is a bunch of 50-year-old teenagers jumping around on a platform. Now, don't get me wrong, I love to have fun, and maybe that could be somewhere way in the back. Maybe, that, maybe our children and our teenage uh, uh, nieces and <coughs> nephews and grandchildren, whatever, could be up there you know, showing their support for their parents and their uncles and their aunts. Exactly. That shouldn't be us. We shouldn't be rubbing on each other on a platform in front of everybody, and, th and that's the only display of us? Yeah, that's great. I, I, that would be a perfect time for me to actually use my skate mask and dust it <laughs> off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, you know, and I'm sorry to say this, Joe, but, again, you know, our union doesn't promote, you know, a lot of the uniform members and the titles they don't come to work sharply dressed anyway. You know, they come with their shirts, their shirts be dirty or their pants be, you know, not their pants be saggy, you know, like the dudes in the street and they have their Tims on and ACG boots. So that's what I mean by say, when people come to work dressed like they're in the streets, 
it's like that's another problem also. Yeah, but that's not that's to tell you the truth. I don't really see too much of that. I do. Not 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 in RTO. They come down on us. They I just seen in the group that they was <coughs> checking alternate footwear um, passes today. So they cracking down with us. Well, they crack down on y'all, but in buses they don't crack down. I come to work shop every day. I would love to walk down with Samuelson for the um for the parade. When I drove the bus, I, I my uniform was sharp. Anybody that drove with me will know that. Well, there's a there's a lot of people that are gonna look sloppy. There's a lot of people gonna look sharp. The people that look sharp, they might want to come to a parade knowing, I mean, if the union says, listen, we need people in uniform to come out there and look sharp and, and we're going to put our best <coughs> foot forward. And we want, us, we want New York to see that we respect ourselves and that, and that this is a contract time and, and that respect, you know, needs to come in in dollars and benefits. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and that, that's, that's those, those people that are standing there on that sidewalk and in that median, Right, they're expecting to see when they look at us, and they still we still get respect. I mean, even from back in the day when we used to, you know, have respect, um, <laughs> we still get respect from people that remember us. Right, you know, from who we used to be. But I, but but that's 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 the way I see it. I mean, I'm not I'm not anal about the thing. No, well, of course, because it's the same thing with Earth Day. Now, from with Earth Day, right? I don't, you know, like. They pick whatever depot they want to get the bus from. But what they do is they get a bus and they clean it up real good. They clean up the inside. They 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 sh- and they put armor all in the tires. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, like some silicone. This is some stuff. This is some industrial stuff they put on there. Uh-huh. And they have it out there because you have the governor, you have the mayor, you have all these high dignitaries that are there for Earth Day, whatever that ceremony is. And they get an operator who's going to be sharp. They tell that person, make sure you're dressed sharp in your uniform to come with that bus. But just so, just like you said, why can't the union do that for the African-American Day Parade? But let's let's take it a step back. First of all, we had a a job where, how how often we get supposed to get new uniforms? Every three years or something like that? Every three, is it three years or five years? It's, It's probably like three years or something like that. Now, we got a lot of bad food choices. So a person to come in at one weight and end up and two years later, being another weight, so the uniforms don't e- don't even fit, and they not even read- readily available. I remember Jamel, you was telling me about where they used to have a place you could get the uniforms that's not like now. Could you? Yeah, back in the day, they used to have um for the oper- well for the um operational titles, they used to have uniform rooms. Uh, I know for buses, they had it, it was up at the old Walnut Depot. They had a uniform room where they had a. Uh, they had a seamstress right there on the spot. They can measure you. They can, you know, they can do all your alterations right there on the spot. And I guess for subways, wherever it might have been somewhere at J Street of Brooklyn back in the day, but <clears throat> they had these uniform rooms to where they gave you the uniform right there on the spot. You know, they had the seamstress and they had everything right there to take your alter to do your alterations and take your measurements. So you didn't have to worry about. And it was good quality uniforms. A lot of a lot of that stuff. A lot of the. I remember the old shirts, you know, my daddy used to have those. A lot of that stuff lasted for years, 20 years. I said, wow, you know. <laughs> so, and that stuff was made in America. Mm. That stuff was made in America. That needs to be required. Exactly. That's something That's something that should really be seriously addressed going into the contract negotiation. Get rid of these companies, whoever they use, because the uniform is garbage. Because, you know, Tremel was telling me how when he was extra, extra, he worked a platform job on Ocean Parkway in Brooklyn. Now, Ocean freezing. Parkway freezing, freezing in the wintertime is right wow. by the water. 
And he told me he was freezing his what you you know what off, you know? So that's what I mean by say they need a better quality of clothing. If you you know you want your mem you know, you want the workers to represent and be sharp and everything, okay, fine, it's all good. But give a good quality of clothes. And I you and know I, I remember that day when I took a comfort, I had called the crew office and like, yo, look, I'm not gonna survive here. You go find me here as an icicle. His response was, Well, we all had to go through it. Oh my God! And I, really and I and I said what? And then probably like two weeks after that, they started taking us off the platform when the temperature dropped below a certain amount of degrees. They said it's not it's not um, safe for y'all to be out there. I'm like, what? When the winter almost over, y'all came up with that conclusion, right? And y'all just figured that out. I mean, really, it's, it's right by the water, so it's even worse, you know. But you know what I wanted to ask you, Joe? Right? Was with tier six, right? Now. Samuelson took credit for saving, preserving the 2555. It was an article in the Chief and everything, I remember. I have it, I have it somewhere at home. I should have brought it. But what's really, is that true, basically, in a nutshell? Is that true? Seven unions were able to save um, early <coughs> retirement because of physically taxing work. Um, that was put into all the provisions of, of the, either Tier 5 or Tier 6, whichever, you know, the union at the time, um, of those people that they represented. So I don't, I, without a fight, I can't see how anything was, we just fell into that. This is, this is another example of spin. Um, geez, this looks really bad. Uh, how can we spin this? We, we preserve 2555, you know, and that, hence the victory flyer. You know, this is, this is like, you know, how many times you're gonna hear BS, you know I mean, before like, you know, you finally like, come on again. You know, you're going you're gonna to look at it like this, but, but, but they kept putting it out there that, that this was a victory and that, that was insulting. Now, when you only had 55 people on the property that were tier six, you can get away with that crap because nobody knows anything. But now there's a whole lot of them. And now instead of now it being a victory, now it's a fight. So, you know what? I mean, even, even lobby day, that, that whole speech thing, you know, I mean, I get why they do it. And I know it's a lot of pageantry, but I'm afraid <laughs> that you're going to wind up disenfranchising eager people by you know disappointing them in the end do you think they would change tier six as far as like what we contribute instead of the uh six percent the two percent like everybody else tier six will eventually reform um it all depends on when like like we were talking about before it you know if you do it now it's cheaper if you do it later it's more expensive you have to bite into the contract some, some people are going to tell you, well, you got nothing to do with contract. It's, it's legislation. You're, you're going to have the MTA, if they're, if they're going to support this, and it's going to be on them, which means that the governor's telling the MTA that it's going to happen, that you guys are going to have to budget for increased pension contributions, that um, it will wind up in the contract to say um, the MTA will go with the TWU to support um, tier six reform in whichever manner it is. Right. So I, I believe we, we can do it and we will do it. I just don't know whether we're going to do it over the next three years. See, I like the word you use, we. Right, we, exactly. <laughs> we. You know, I, I really, per, right, personally, I agree with you, Joe. I really believe that we can get that, that aspect of Tier 6 reformed as far as the pension contribution. Now, the, the ceiling at the $15,000, I, I really don't think that's going to be reformed. Well, we, have, we have 21 years to fix that <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> now another thing i wanted to ask you let's go with buses for again for a second now 126th street depot um 
I speak with a lot of those 126th Street Depot members um, all the time. They're on Facebook in the groups. And, you know, they're very, you know, that place was like a mosque, a, a mosque to them. You know, like what a mosque is to a Muslim mm-hmm. and what a synagogue is to a Jew. It is what it is. Right. That, that's what that place was to them. And I don't blame them because that was their home. That was their house, you know, 126th Street. So <clears throat> what I want to know is um, if, if it was you, how would you handle that whole 126th Street the closing of 126th Street as far as the seniority, because I know legally a lot of them were saying that um, transit has to keep one at least one TA depot in in Manhattan because that's, you know, that's, that's the law. So what I want to know is I just want to get clarity on that whole situation, you know. Well, we, we would have fought um, for a Man- the Manhattan division. We never would have gave that up. Um, now, there's different avenues to take depending on when you start fighting. The first article about the, um, the, the slave grave site um, that I was able to find came out in 2008. So that is like the, 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 the shot, the first shot that says that, okay, there's a grave site there and, and, and we're going to need to do something about it. Now, later on, articles start coming out about the value of, of East River property. Now, 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 you, now you start to see the real um, issue. The, the gravesite is like, you know, tugging on your, your emotions and say, yeah, it's a gravesite. You know, we should preserve that and it should be, you know, sacrosanct. And then the other thing is we need to build a 55-story condo that faces the river. So, so now, now, now the mayor, I mean, the governor, I'm sorry, gets involved because he's, he's in with the um, real estate people that are talking about this. Now, here comes the TA, right? Now, the TA says, well, okay, we'll sell the property or we'll, we'll give the property up, whoever owns it. Fine, we'll do that, right? But now, where, where's the union on this? Because the union, in order to keep 126th Street or at least to gain leverage to keep the Manhattan division, they have to, they have to reach out to the communities. But we have no community identity. Right? We have no social identity. We have no belief system. Nobody can look at a TWU and say they believe in this. Nobody knows what we believe in. So we have no allies in the community. So we couldn't reach out to religious leaders, community leaders, to say that we want to keep 126th Street and we, we will honor who's buried there in our way. Um, the way that we see that, it, that, 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 that shows respect and not leave it up to some kind of uh, real estate company you know, that's just going to put up a little plaque on the side of a, a brick wall and then put a ton of bricks on top of the gravesite. So 126th Street, if we couldn't keep it, then we could we could have moved somewhere else. But certainly, you know, um, to keep uh, the identity of the, the Manhattan Division of TA Surface, that had to happen. To to take everybody now and to and to dovetail them in um, to the OA wasn't fair to them. For, 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 for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, of course, is, is, is the, you know, the cause of what happened. A lot of people got bumped. It was a, it's a domino effect. Of course. It's not just 230 people got, got <clears throat> inconvenienced. It was once one person gets bumped, then the domino all the way down the line. You, you start to, you're a bus operator. You start to lose, um, you know, you, you like driving this particular route because you like the passengers and it's been safe and it's been good and you enjoy it. Now you got bumped out. Or you like to drive this because it made you money. You got bumped out. Now you had to go to the next thing and bump that guy out. And all the way down the line, people got bumped from the Bronx into Manhattan. There, there was a whole lot of that, but none of them got a vote on it. See, the thing about seniority is, 
And, and you can look at the 200 and something people that were leaving 126th Street and say, well, you know, we have to look out for them too. The thing about seniority is it's your property. It's the only thing that makes you union, right? It is everything. It's fair. It stops nepotism. It stops favoritism. It stops cronyism. It's the only thing there is that's fair. So to take it and just mold it without the, the input of the people was wrong. Of course, because you have the way they did it with seniority is they just basically just took them and said, okay, you could just, you know, you could just basically bum rush map store a house. And then meanwhile, you have all of these people who are cro what they call crossovers from the 2002, um, you know, MOU going by that seniority to where it's like, okay, if a TA person came over in the map store, you know, when a TA person comes over in the map store, they lose seniority. So it's like now you, there are people who I ran into, they say, yo, this person with 126 was in my class. He gets to go over here, but if, if, if I go over there with him, I'm going to lose seniority, not him. That's right. Yeah. And, so. and, and, and the other thing that we don't see immediate, but it, the danger is there, is that we lose our argument for regional bus. Now, suppose, just suppose, um, they decide to close uh, an MTA bus depot, and they say we're going to move MTA bus operators into an OA depot. Now you have three different contracts. Which I heard rumors of. Yeah, and you're always hearing them, right? I mean, I heard about Yonkers. One minute they're not closing it, one minute they are. I don't have any information on it one way or another, so I don't want Yonkers people to panic. But I'm just, <laughs> using, just using it as an example. Right, right. And, I, and, and, and so now if you were to turn around and say, no, we're against regional bus. And they say, no, you're not. You, 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 you blended the seniority of, of TA surface in the OA. You're not against it because that's exactly what you did. Right. So um, we, we don't have the argument anymore to use, at least the moral stand. We lost that. Exactly. And we, so, I mean, what do we do from that point on? If it does happen, we just got to go with it because we have nowhere to stand. Right. And it's like, you want to know something? Um, and this is another thing, and I know they're going to get mad at me for saying it, but I don't care. Right. Now, Columbia University, right? They own property. You know where Columbia University is, over on the west side, uptown? Yeah. Okay. So now the main campus is on 116th Street. But anyway, from what I understand, they own property on the west side over there from 110th Street all the way up to Bakersfield, right before you cross the bridge going to the Bronx. Right. You know, that's where their stadium is at. Right. Okay. Across so, from Kingsbridge. Across from Kingsbridge Depot, right. So now... In in that line in that line of in that line of land that they own is Manhattanville Depot. Ooh. Okay. Now, from what I understand, um, I used to drive for Academy Bus, and Academy has a contract with Columbia University. They do shuttles, which they still do because I see those buses out there all the time. And I myself used to drive and shuttle them, shuttle them back and forth. So what I'm saying is, um, one of the owners of Academy Bus sits on the board, from what I was told. And so basically, Manhattanville is gonna be a memory in a couple of years, from what I understand. So now what I'm saying is, um, the union is in denial about this, and nobody's saying nothing. So now you're gonna talk, so now you're talking about when this happens, all of, cause Manhattanville is a bunch of, packed down with buses. All these bus lines gotta go somewhere. So what I'm saying is, this is what I mean when I said the union is, is, is not addressing these things to the members before management shoves it down your throat. Now, it's the same thing with 126th Street. It, now, here it is. You, you're not even in that department, and you knew about what was going on, okay? So, basically, the way management 
broke the news to everybody. They broke the news to everybody, what, in August? And then the depot closed in December. So I'm like, yo, you got to be kidding me. That's that's what I mean when I say, you know, that's, I said, you know, that's, it's just, that's not total negligence on their part. They knew what was going on, but just that nobody was saying nothing. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's always the uh, reactive and never the proactive right. response to everything that takes place, including Vision Zero. That was a complete reactive response. They were debating Vision Zero for, for months prior to the law being enacted and then didn't do anything until, and, and, and we, we even warned, didn't do anything until a Brooklyn bus operator was arrested, but two MTA bus operators were arrested prior to that and Samuelson still did nothing. And nobody was told anything until, until it was brought to Brooklyn. And that was so much later. Mm-hmm. But what needed to happen was, and I'm just going, I'm only saying this because this is the, what I'm talking about being reactive and proactive. It was debated for months, Vision Zero, prior to being a law. Where were we? I mean, we were not anywhere. In, I read all the transcripts to all the discussions of Vision Zero. Not one single TW representative was there wow. saying anything. <clears throat> um, uh, I believe I, I think I see seen ATU there, but but not us. That's the political action department. So nobody, you just wait for something to happen and then react to it. That's that's we can't do we can't do it like that. That's why they're saying, oh, bus operators, uh, hey, it's only going to be a desk appearance ticket. The penalty is still there. Everything right. is still there. Everything is still there. The only thing is difference is now is that you're just not going to be with the handcuff slapped on you. That's <laughs> right. It. Your lawyer is going to call <laughs> you up at your home in front of your family and say, "Okay, you got to turn yourself in now. They found you guilty or whatever." And that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that's an, but that's another victory. Right. It's another. It's another. Right. It's another victory. That was a Big Daddy Kane track <laughs> back in the day. Another victory. Let, let me ask you this: What you think about um, New Jersey Transit going on strike? A strike is tough. I hope they don't have to do it, but I admire their courage, and I think that um, you know we should uh, give them all the support we can. I've seen some talk on social media about people saying, "Well, they never supported us." We got to get away from that, and we got to start building those alliances. I, I would like to see us with New Jersey Transit, Metro North, Long Island Railroad. Even though we dissed them big time in the last—I mean, when they when they were going for their contract, we left them, you know, cold. Yeah. Um, but we, we need to build all those alliances and stay strong together. If New Jersey Transit wants to go out, they should feel confident that they have the TWU behind them 100%. Well, of course, because, it, you know, again, a lot of those people come into the city and then they use our system to get to continue going the way they got to go. So that's what I mean when I say, again, it, you know, when people say, well, we're not going to support them. Listen, we, it's narrow. It's narrow minded thinking. And this is what I mean where I said people got to become more educated and get involved. And you got to, you know, you got to step out the box and get away from the contract and get away from waiting on these delegates to give you information. It, the, listen, that's the same thing with, again, I keep talking about these depots because no, nobody wants them in their neighborhood in Manhattan. Now, Governor Cuomo's talking about expanding the Javits Center. So now what do you think? Now you're talking about an even bigger depot, Quill Depot. Because they were talking about moving that about ten or twelve years ago. So what is so? What are you going to do with all those buses? Send them out to Jersey? Yeah. But well, we have to support New Jersey because you know we have a lot of transit refugees. That's what I call them—the people who can't afford to live in the city in which they work, and they go to live in the Poconos and in Southern Jersey and, and things like that. So we have to support them. Right. Now, now we we winding down. We only got like probably like <clears throat> ten minutes left. I want you to tell the people what you feel that they need to know. I need you to get down to the nitty gritty 
and let the people know what's on your mind, Joe. If you feel anything we missed out, we missed, or anything you want to express, let the people know. I don't know if I can do that in five minutes. No, you got time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, we talked a lot about the history, especially contemporary history. Ryder Toussaint gave you a a broader history. Um, We just talked about the last few years. Um, What, what, we, we love our organization. This is, this is why you're doing what you do. This is what I do what I do. We love our organization. We consider our brothers and sisters our family. Um, we want our representatives to be like the leaders of our family, like you would expect your mother and father to be. Um, they have to be able to look out for our best interests and not theirs. And that's really what you see in this union. I mean, basically, when you're confused about anything that happens, if you just say, this man's looking out for interest, his interest instead of mine, that's the answer to your question. That's the broad general answer to your question. But even to get more specific, um, there are things that, that we need to be doing that we're not doing, and you know, this is what I like to see in the future. I mean, sometimes it sounds like it's just a negative attack all the time, but look through the negativity and see what I'm saying, and, and I'm telling you that what we need to do is the opposite of what I'm telling you. And I'll give you an example. Health and safety, right? Our health and safety department, I don't know what they do. Um, but when, when, when it comes to, like, occupational health and safety, I'm not just talking about, you know, like, common sense safety, but even look at, you know, people that work the road and the diets that, that they have. We, we need to have, like, educational, um, even if it's just some, some kind of computer class, whatever, to tell you about nutrition. You know, one of the things that I wanted to do was every location, everywhere, um, give people an extra, extra pay time to exercise, and, and, and to get healthy because, because I think according to one study that transit workers only collect their pensions for two years after they retire, on average 24 months. <laughs> so that's something that we needed to do. There were so many other things we need to do, but most important, because I think we are getting out of here, is that we need to organize and mobilize because without that, you can't fight anything. You just you set yourself up for givebacks. That's all you do. And, and, and our members are our strongest weapon and no leader is anybody unless he's got 32,000, 38,000 angry transit workers looking at over his shoulder saying, don't worry, I got your back, and looking at management and saying, you know what, enough's enough. It's time that we get ours. It's time we get our respect for the hard work that we do and for what we do for the economic lifeline of this city. And it's time now that that happened and time for the membership to push this leadership in that direction. Right, I really, like I said, that sounds really great, Joe. I'm so sorry that we just, it's 2 o'clock now and they get ready to kick us out. And uh, I, I really, but definitely, you know, I really wish that, Joe, I voted for you guys, Transport Workers United, to slate all the way down. And I, but I wish that this membership would have voted you in there because definitely, um, you know, you have a lot of ideas and you, and you, and you, and you sound like a great leader and you know what and you know what it is that's got to be done you know so um i just you know tremel do you have any final uh, things to say um you know joe you're a resident of progressive action so whenever you feel like coming back up here you just reach out to us any information like i said i don't care if it's this shout out your website with your voice you know what i'm saying um you could come up here whenever you know for another interview whenever you feel like it just let us know and we'll schedule schedule you in
Well, thanks a lot, guys. It was my pleasure to be here. Um, I'm actually sorry that we have to stop talking because I can do this all night. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. You, <laughs> you, you will be back soon, but this is where the mobil mobilization starts because we can reach more people through the radio show by putting it in different groups, and people will more, more be willing to listen you know, than, than actually uh, read something or you know, even participate in the, in the union meeting. But we want to encourage that, too. We want to change that, too. But it's going to start here, and we believe that you're an important part of the puzzle. And we, we want to work with you, and you work with us, and we try to do something, you know, on a bigger level. This is great. This is outstanding. What you guys are doing is outstanding. And um, I hope the membership appreciate it, and we get more listeners and get everybody, you know, in tune to what we're talking about. Thanks a lot, Joe. We really appreciate that. S sounds good. Thanks for coming out, Joe. And it was a pleasure. We had fun tonight. We're going to definitely do this again next week. Um, tune in. Thursday night, Friday morning, 12 a.m., and we'll be back. Look, everybody follow the uh, Facebook group, Progressive Action. Follow us on Instagram, Progressive Action, and hit us on email, progressiveaction100 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Peace.